Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know why, and I am joined as I am always joined by the magnificent, marvelous, mad wizard Merwin. Oh, wait a minute. You know, there's like this whole thing that exists now, Sean, uh, over on Misdirected Mark. Somebody sent it to us. That is a uh, a randomizer of that beginning. So I could be something completely different. I could be malingering. You could be. Why don't you start us off with some announcements while I go find it so that I can pull it up and then just like drop it into our, our show notes for, for now on? It sounds like a great idea, Chris. So the first announcement is... The signups to be a volunteer at Winter Fantasy are up. There is a link in the show notes, but if you go to heraldsguild.com, you can see the link there. It's under Winter is Coming. And Winter Fantasy 2018 runs from September 7th to 11th. And you can get your D&D on for 12 slots of gaming from Wednesday night through Sunday afternoon. And this year... There is all the D&D goodness you would expect, but there is some new stuff. Rob Schwalb, the Demon Lord himself, will be there with his team running Shadow of the Demon Lord. There will be Living Arcanus, which is a 5th edition um, organized play campaign. But the big announcement is that this year there will be Pelgrain Press games there. That's crazy. I'm very excited for this because I always go to Gen Con and try to get into some of these uh, Pelgrane press games, and they're always sold out. Mm. But now, if you go to Winter Fantasy, I bet you will be able to get into games like 13th Age or Knight's Black Agents or Trail of Cthulhu or Time Watch. And I know that I'm going to be spending at least a little bit of time playing one of those games because I've been looking forward to playing them for a long time. And they are fun games, let me tell you. Yep. So if you are a GM who um, you know doesn't isn't uh, doesn't feel comfortable running D and D, but you're interested in those games, go and sign up. It's a great time. Um, lots of fun stuff happening at the show. Personally, I am going to be running uh, Return of the Lizard King, the entire adventure over three slots. <coughs> oh, excuse me. And I will be bringing with me special certs created by one Mr. Chris Lindsay of Wizards of the Coast. And I'm also going to be doing two writing workshops. So if you're interested in writing convention-created content for Bald Man Games, uh, one of those two workshops will be open that you can submit some work, and we will go over it. We will talk about writing games in general and writing convention-created content specifically. That's really cool. That, that sounds like a really fun thing and interesting thing and useful thing for people to go and uh, get involved in. Is there mm-hmm. any chance that maybe those get recorded? That is a great question, and I that's been asked uh, of me already. And I want to continue to do them in person first before I release anything to the internet. But at some point, I'm sure we will do one that will be broadcast out uh, either just as a 
um, something you can watch or we'll actually do a workshop with live participants at some point. But the whole idea of a workshop, as you well know, Chris, is to actually sit down um, with the people that submitted work and go over it with a fine tooth comb mm -hmm. rather than just having someone sit there and talk at you. So that's why these are not seminars. These are actual writing workshops where you will be submitting work before the, uh, the event and then we will talk about it with the, the group of people who have signed up. That's pretty neat. Is that all we have to say about uh, announcements and whatnot? Nope. I have one more announcement. Oh, hit me with it. If you if you are a participant in the Adventurers League, there is now a survey up at the Wizards of the Coast website. So if you go to the web, uh, their general D&D website, you will see a link for the Adventurers League survey. Click on it. It takes maybe five or ten minutes to fill out. Give your feedback. What do you like about the Adventurers League? What do you think could be improved upon? What do you despise with all your heart and soul? Let them know. And I'm sure that as Xanathar's guide trickles out into the world, there will be changes coming to the campaign. And you could have a voice in what those changes are. Is there anything in the survey that you've seen so far that has piqued your interest about what might get changed? When I took it, it was a very, at least part of it was a very generic survey, kind of like the ones that Wizards does for the other parts of their, uh, of their offerings. Mm -hmm. So it'll say, you know, what do you like most on a scale of one to five? Do you like this, 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 or this? You know, what's most important? What's least important in the campaign? So it's, it's those kinds of questions. But then there's also some open fields that where you can just type in, you know, problems you have or things that you like or things that you want to see. Nice. Yeah. So I think most of it will be, you know, doing that ranking, but you will all obviously have a chance to give them your full feedback. So moving on from there, it is uh, almost Thanksgiving in America, American Thanksgiving. And we tend to talk about what we're thankful for during American Thanksgiving. And this episode should drop on American Thanksgiving. So Sean, why don't we talk about what we're thankful for? So Sean, what are you thankful for? I am thankful for all of the wonderful people in this hobby. Every day I sit down and I look at Facebook and look at Twitter and answer emails and work with people and run games and play games. And I am just thankful that all the creators and players and DMs and bloggers and viewers and streamers and collaborators and volunteers and readers and podcasters and all the buyers and sellers and, and everyone who gets involved in some way in this hobby, whether it be D&D specifically or role-playing games in general – Thank you so much for being a part of it because it's just growing and we're becoming a larger and larger community. And I think that's important for everyone to see that this hobby we do is not just fun, but it's also valuable. Mm. How about you, Chris? What I'm thankful for is the network, Mr. Rector Mark Productions Network, uh, the listeners, the, my podcast partners like you, Sean, the patrons, everyone who's part of Mr. Rector Mark Productions in any way, shape or form. Uh, they often give me a lot of life as they say we're on the gauntlet so i am uh i'm very thankful for for all the shows that we have and all the people that we have that work with us and create things with us and and all that stuff so that is that is what i am thankful for this this holiday season i suppose oh yeah shout out to phil and bob and senda and garrett you want to you want to keep going there's wayne and robert aducci and jason hobbs and and uh troy and darcy over on cypher speak and all the entire crew over that that does the the Weepos recordings, which are going to be coming out pretty soon, the new season of that. So that is uh, Emily and Brett and Kevin and Tom Flanagan. I mean, there's just there's tons of people. I'm sure I'm missing a show. I mean, there's you and me too. So I mean, I mean, I think that covers everybody. I could be missing some stuff. 
I think we hit everybody, but I, if we missed anybody, it's not because we don't care. It's just because it's late. The guys over on Jang Who Hustle, the, the, the newest, newest, newest show where they, they talk about kung fu in games, Eric Farmer and, and Eli Kurtz. Uh, yeah, so everyone and, and all the listeners out there too, and especially you folks who are always out there talking to us. It really means a lot to me. All right, let us move on to our main topic. Players' options from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. It's time to go back and see what that beholder has to say about player options. So, Sean, I think we're going to talk mostly about class archetypes, and we'll get into uh, some racial feats towards the end of this. But we're going to talk about uh, why they're cool. Is it a fun archetype to play? Is it balanced, and is it well-presented? Is that, It seems about right. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talked about the DM side of this uh, last time we recorded. And so I wanted to look at the the player side. And most of the content on the player side are these archetypes. And when I look at archetypes or or when I create them, which I've done a few of in the last uh, few weeks, I I look at those four things you just mentioned. Um, Because that's really what the players and the DMs want. They want something that's cool. You know, it's evocative. It's fun to play when you're actually sitting down and playing at the table because something can look cool when you read about it. And then when you sit down to play it, it, it could be not fun. Third, is it balanced? Um, is it way too powerful or so underpowered that most people wouldn't want to take the time to play it? And then is the presentation uh, well done? Are the rules clear? Is it too complicated? Um, you know, all of those things go into creating one of these archetypes. And that's why you see uh, all of them in here is because they've been play tested and they've been gone over with a fine tooth comb as opposed to certain other things like backgrounds and, and even races that are a little bit easier to do and a little less complicated. So they are the main thing we've seen up till now. Um, so the first one I wanted to talk about is the Arcane Archer. What I did was I went through the book and I just wanted to pick out two or three uh, to talk about. And so what I did was I looked at ones that from previous editions I thought were either really fun to play or really cool or you know ones that have just been around forever. Mm-hmm. So I, I started with the Arcane Archer. It's one of my favorites from the previous editions, but I always found that it was hard to balance. Sometimes in certain editions it would be fun um, but way overpowered, and at certain times it, it would be kind of hard to play. So I thought, okay, let's take a look at this. So uh, going down through the archetype, at third level you get Arcane Archer lore, uh, which is pretty simple. You gain proficiency in either Arcana or Nature, and then you can learn either Prestidigitation or Druidcraft as a cantrip. What does Druidcraft do? I don't remember that one. Uh, Druid craft is kind of like the prestidigitation for druids. Oh, okay, you know you can do these small things. Uh, there, there's a list in the spell. I don't have yeah, that's okay. memorized off the top of my head, but you know it's just it's it's a cantrip. Yeah, yeah. So at third level, you get arcane shot, and arcane shot is really the meat of this archetype. Um, there are a full list of of these different types of arcane shots. So at third level, you choose two of them. And then once per turn, you can apply that special effect from that arcane shot to any magic arrow that you shoot. And then you have two uses of it. Then you must take either a short or a long rest to recover those uses. So it's basically, you know, a, a two uses per, per, uh, per short rest. Here's the problem. It very specifically says under Arcane Shot that you can apply this option to a magic arrow that you shoot. Okay. 
you don't get the ability called Magic Arrow until 7th level. So unless you have a Magic Arrow that's actually a magic item that's ammunition, none of these are worth anything until 7th level. I always thought that was weird. Now, maybe I'm reading this wrong and someone can correct me. I've read it a few times and I've been a little out of it these last few days, so maybe I'm missing something. But as far as I can tell, that's a problem. Now, obviously, as a DM, you can, at your home game, you can just clap your hands and say, you get it no matter what. Your third level, just consider every arrow you shoot magical. Boom, done. But if you're playing in an organized play campaign or if you're playing in a very um, rules-centric game, that's a problem. So then let's jump to seventh level. Oh, sorry, Chris, did you have something to say? I was going to say, like... I don't have the, I don't have the book in front of me right now, so I can't read it. And I didn't I didn't read this one. I just read the ones that I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Now, I think I remember when we talked about this when they had it in playtesting because we had the same conversation about this. That so you're a fighter, right? Correct. When you make the attack action, you get to you sometimes get to make multiple attacks. Correct. Mm-hmm. So at sixth level, um, you're getting two shots with this this uh with when when you when you shoot when you attack, right? I think. If I remember correctly, when we were talking about it, we should probably go and check it again. Um, when you used Arcane Shot the last time we, I looked at it, which was a while ago, as soon as you decided to use Arcane Shot, it made the arrow magical. But like at 6th level, your other arrow wouldn't be magical. But at 7th level, then all the ma- arrows you shoot are magical. Hmm. I think that's the intention. I don't know if it's written very well. That would mean that it's not presented well. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Not well presented. Once per turn, when you fire a magic arrow from a shortbow or longbow as part of the attack action, you can apply one of your arcane shot options to that arrow. Yeah, that's that's pretty clear, actually, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't get much much clearer than that. Uh, so, so at seventh level, you get a ability called magic arrow. Hooray! It says you gain the ability to infuse arrows with magic. Okay, when you fire a non magical arrow from a shortbow or longbow. You can make it magical, and here's this, for the purpose of overcoming resistance and immunity to non-magical attacks and damage. So there, you, you, I, I, as a DM, I say, okay, good, magic arrow. But the way they word it is even confusing there because it says that that little rider there, uh, for the purpose of overcoming resistance. It doesn't say it's just a magic arrow. It just says it's a magic arrow for this purpose. So even then, you're going to get some people saying it doesn't count as a magic arrow for any other purpose, including arcane shot, which is crazy because now you're now you're going you know too far the other way. Yeah. But it's still not really written clearly. What I need is an explanation of why they decided to word it that way. That's exactly right. And I'm sure as as the book uh, makes its way to more and more people, I think it's still. Maybe, is it even, a, well, maybe by the time that this recording comes out, it will be available everywhere. But it still might be on just the game uh, game store. The WPN stores? Yeah. So, yeah. But, but you know, like I said, as, as this gets further and further out, there will be more discussion and hopefully some clarification. I mean, you know, as I said, as a DM for a home game, I would say starting at third level, your shots are good. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be a problem. At level 7, you also get something called Curving Shot. You use a bonus action to re-roll a missed attack roll against a different target than the one you originally were shooting at. All right. 
So it seems reasonable. You know, you take a shot at somebody, you roll, you miss. All right, it's going to curve and hit somebody else within 60 feet, I believe it is. So you re-roll the attack and see what happens. Something, one thing I'm thinking here is we're getting too many bonus actions out there in the world. I love the idea of a bonus action as a limiting factor so you couldn't keep doing something over and over and over again. You just get one bonus action. I think it starts to lose its elegance in the game when you have a choice of 13 different bonus actions that you can take in a round. That's just a personal opinion, but it's one where I feel strongly enough about it to mention it. I have an opinion on that. Having seen enough and played enough of this this version of this game, I think it goes along with that scale of complexity thing for um, different classes. Like, I don't think fighters have that many bonus actions, man. Like, they don't have any to start with. I'm thinking that... Um, what's the one where you can heal yourself using a hit die? Uh, second win. Is that a bonus action? I believe that's a bonus action. Okay, so that's one bonus action. Right. Everyone has the bonus action where you can take uh, an offhand attack. That's true. Don't have the player's handbook right in front of me, and I haven't played a fighter in a while. Yeah, your extra attack is not a bonus action. Correct. It's just part of your attack action. Right. I always compare everything to the rogue, because the rogue has a billion bonus actions. If you're comparing everything to the rogue, then no character has too many bonus actions. Correct. And I think I think even at level seven, I think you're at like three or four, and I don't think that's an overwhelming amount of bonus actions. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's it's a it's an opinion. It's not a yeah. fact. It's just you know when I when I think of teaching new players, maybe by seventh level they'll they'll get it, and they I won't have to a keep reminding them that they have bonus actions, or b have to stop them from trying to take fourteen bonus actions in the same turn. And that'll be the first time that somebody took that'll be the first time they've added a bonus action in seven levels, probably. Yeah. Okay. I'll. I will give you that point. The second thing about Curving Shot I wanted to mention is that this is interesting because the way it's worded, say you have an enemy 30 feet ahead of you, and then there's a brick wall he's standing next to, and behind that brick wall is another enemy. You could, as it's written, shoot your arrow at the target you can see, miss, and then hit the target that you can't see behind the wall. The way it's worded, uh, it doesn't say you need to see the other target, uh, anything like that, as long as the target's within 60 feet of the original target. Mm -hmm. You can tell I've played with a lot of, shall we call them cheese weasels. Sure. I can see players in certain situations trying to miss that first shot in order to use this ability to get to that target behind the wall. If that's the big boss or if there's something important going on behind that wall. And it's just something that maybe came up in playtesting, maybe didn't. Uh, but just something that, just to show you where my design brain goes when I read these things. I'm not sure exactly how it's worded, right? Because I'm not, I'm not looking at it. Mm-hmm. So it curves, right? Does it say that it can it can target anything after that point in time? Like, And it doesn't. does it say anything about the cover that that creature would have? Is when you make an attack roll with a magic arrow and miss, you can use a bonus action to re-roll the attack 
against a different target within 60 feet of the original target. Yeah. Now, as a DM, you might say, well, since you can't see the second target, you can't target it. But you might say it according as written, as long as it's within 60 feet of the original target, it's good. I would just use the new target as the point of origin for what to determine how cover works. Mm -hmm. Because that's what it says, right? From the new target. Within 60 feet of the original target. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those spaces where they, they wrote a thing, right? It's cool because it's got that flavor to it. But right. um, you could just, I mean, you just let the game masters and dungeon masters rule as they will. Like, sure. I, I know how I would rule it. My my ruling would be like, all right, well, it's going to curve from that spot. So I'm going to judge cover from that particular point of point of uh, it, it going on from there. Sure. But yeah, I mean, you you so, understand I mean, what I'm saying, though, right? You have some oh, yeah. some minion out there, and the vampire is behind the wall, and so the player says, "Well, I want to shoot at the minion, but I want to miss on purpose." Yeah, but that's not how the rules work, right? Exa- exactly. You have to roll the dice. <laughs> yes, I, I, yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting. It's just an interesting question that I'm sure will come up at tables. That's all. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Like, but l- luckily that wording is pretty solid. Use a bonus action to re-roll a missed attack roll. So you mm-hmm. actually have to miss your attack roll. Exactly. And that, then the question goes up, can I miss on purpose? Yeah. And then I would be like, no, because <laughs> the thing says you have to roll the die. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, oh, I, I get it. But you see that that's, it becomes a thing. That's sure. all. That's why I talk about well-presented, you know, and clear. Yeah, I thought that one was actually pretty clear as far as uh, as far as stating it goes, right? No, I, I think it is too. Yeah, it just brings up a lot of questions of can you target something you can't, you know, that's behind total cover? Normally, no, with a with nope. a straight ranged attack. So it's true. Yeah, it's it's just it's a little fuzzy. That's all. It's it's a little fuzzy. Yeah, and then at fifteenth level, they uh, get ever ready shot. Basically, you get those two arcane shots. So if you start a combat. Without any arcane shots left, you refresh so you at least have one. So that's the the abilities themselves. And then there is a list of the arcane shot options. So this is where it gets, a, for me, everything's cool up to this point. You know, the wording's a little off on a few things. But as a DM, I'm still there. I can rule. I can figure it out. These different shot options almost seem like too much to me. Um, what they did was they took all of the um, schools of magic and created an arrow for each one. So uh, the abjuration one is ba- banishing arrow. So you hit something, if it fails its save, it is banished, so it goes away for a round. Beguiling arrow is the enchantment. Bursting arrow is the um, evocation and feebling arrow is the necromantic one. Mm-hmm. And for me, this is just too much. Um, I understand what they're trying to do. And I think this, this, uh, hits the cool and it probably hits the fun to play for, for a lot of people. But for me, it turns into a, you know, once you get four of these, then you're choosing between all of them. Um, a lot of players are going to get analysis paralysis as they try to figure out exactly which one to use in which way. Um, you know, each arrow is a big chunk of, it's almost like it's a very own spell, which is what they're trying to do. They're trying to make a fighter. It's actually what it, what it is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's its own spell. And it just, it's a little much for my liking. And again, this is totally 
personal opinion, but mm-hmm. um, I would eschew this class as a player because of this complication. To me, this cl- this this archetype is about as complicated as playing a warlock. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't really have a problem with it. Like, yeah, I mean, playing playing a wizard is more complicated and more options than this. So, I mean, if somebody wants to play an arcane archer, like, I don't think it's for being a fighter. It's really complicated. For mm-hmm. being a wizard, it's pretty much slow speed. It's like slow pitch. Yeah, you know, I might have issue with that. I think I think as a wizard, you kind of have at least the wizards I've seen. You have your thing. You have the you know your four or five spells that you cast, and then you have options if the situation gets weird. You know you have your more utility type spells. But mm-hmm. for for me, this is this is even harder than playing a wizard. Hmm. Interesting. Just because of the. The, the using the bow to to do it. So now mm-hmm. you're you're you know you're rolling an attack roll, possibly more than once if you have more than one shot. Mm-hmm. You're having to keep track of which you can only use it once per round. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, these shots, so you know which hits, which misses, um, and then when you do hit, which one do I want to use? I don't know. I th- I don't know. I I just it's too much for me. But that's just me. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think you're wrong. I think that this is a fair assessment. I just wanted to provide the counterpoint to it because because mm-hmm. that's what we do here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I actually that's the only reason I actually brought it up because I wanted to provide the counterpoint. I was like, well, there are other comp- more, there are other complicated classes too. So, mm-hmm. sure. but yeah, I see your uh, I do see your point in saying that like this is a complex thing to play because there's a whenever you shoot an arrow, there's a bunch of moving parts and choices to make, and not like one or two. There's like three or four. That's that is a lot of choices to make with one shot. Yep. All right. Uh, so what uh, what archetype did you want to talk about? I want to talk about the College of Swords because it's a bard school and it uses sword play. And there's nothing I love more than performance with a sword. So I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, let me just run through the the stuff real quick and then we'll then we'll break it down. Um, so at third level, when you get the thing, you get bonus proficiencies. You can wear medium armor and use a scimitar. And if you are proficient with simple and martial melee weapons, you can use them as your focus for casting spells, which I think is neat. Uh, I want a sword with some holes in it that I can whip around and make it sound like a whistle. To nice. cast my spells as a bard. That's what I would do. Uh, you also get to pick a fighting style. You can either pick dueling or two-weapon fighting. You can just look on the fighter stuff for that. It's pretty normal. Then there's blade flourish. So at that, this is also from third level. Um, You get plus 10 feet speed until the end of your turn if you hit. Uh, and, and if you hit, use one of your blade flourishes. Sean, I, I was going to blur through all this stuff, but that 10 feet speed till the end of the turn, I don't understand. I don't understand why they keep dropping this 10 feet speed into different things. I've seen it a few times. I don't like it. Right. In, in a, in a theater of the mind game, plus 10 feet speed at just certain points becomes very hard to track and very hard to make relevant. If you're on a grid, it's, it's still a little awkward, but at least you have sometimes a reason to do it. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is one of those things that it doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. Yeah, that's it right there. It doesn't feel like it fits the theme. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not very elegant in terms of you know game mechanics. It doesn't. Uh, yeah, it's it's something where they have to do it, and they've done it with other things. So this is where they they stuck it. 
I just didn't know why they needed to even put it in there at all, because the rest of the stuff that I'm about to talk about, I think is pretty okay, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so with the Blade Flourish, which is, I wish this is kind of where the Arcane Archer fell out mm-hmm. with the uh, options, if you're asking me. Yeah. Uh, there's three different flourishes that you can use, defensive, slashing, and mobile. So defensive is use Bardic Inspiration to deal extra damage and add the die roll, which is a D8 or D6 or whatever your Bardic Inspiration is at that point in time, to your armor class till the end of your next turn. That's pretty cool. I like that. Because it makes you think that you are, you know, flourishing your blade in a way that is a defensive pattern. Like, I, I can see it in my head. I think oh, it's yeah. cool. Um, slashing. This one, you get to deal damage to the target. All these, you get to deal extra damage to the target. But then, in this case, whatever you're rolling your Bardic Inspiration die, you get to deal damage to another target within five feet of you on your Bardic Inspiration die. So you don't even have to hit them. You just say, I'm going to yep. do this extra six points of damage to that person, too. Yep. Slashing around. Well, I like uh-huh. that. Love it a lot. Uh, this one's the weird one. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Um, it's deal extra damage and push the target five feet plus feet equal to the die roll. And that doesn't make any kind of sense to me mechanically in this game. Like, I don't, I mean, I get it. So I suppose I should say I dig it from a flavor point of view. Like you were basically pushing, you were using your blade, um, work to drive them back. But that mechanic where you're rolling a die and that's how many feet you move them back plus five doesn't fit the D&D mechanics set, in my opinion. Because everything is in five-foot increments. Yeah. And, and even knock them prone or you know something else that in a theater of the mind game is more relevant. I'd be cool with like roll. I mean, it's a little more complicated to write or whatnot. And this is how I would rule it if I was playing. Like you're going to push the target five feet plus if you roll a one through a four, it's another five feet. If you roll a six through a, if you roll a five through an eight, it's another, it's a, it's 10 feet. Like, right. yeah. I mean, I know it's a lot to write, but that's how I'm going to always rule it if anybody's playing that. Sure. Cause pushing somebody back 15 feet might be useful because you can drive them off the side of a cliff. Like mm-hmm. that is, that is things or put their back against the wall or corner them, right? Like they're, right. they're positioning thing, positioning people as a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, sixth level, you get an extra attack. You can attack twice with the attack action. And then, uh, at 14th level, master's flourish. You can roll a d6 and use that instead of expending a bardic inspiration die. And I think that's pretty neat because now you can just pretty much use the flourish whenever you feel like it. Yeah. And at 14th that level, sense. that seems to make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I actually like this a lot. I think it's flavorful. I think I can see all the cool stuff that's going on there. Um, I think it's because you're a bard and you already have a bunch of spells. This gives you, and you want to be a fighting bard. This is better, I think, in some ways than the, uh, than the fighting bard that's actually in the book. So I like that. Also, um, if anybody remembers the kits from second edition, there's a bard kit called the Blade Singer, and this evokes that, which is why I picked College of Swords. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Uh, any thoughts? No, I think you hit all of the uh, details that I was going to hit. Nice. Tell me about the Drunken Master, Sean. Well, the funny thing about the Drunken Master was I wrote it down in my notes, and then I decided to switch, but you filled it in anyway. Oh, well, I'll talk about it if you want, because I love um, – so there's a movie with Jackie Chan called oh, Drunken yeah. Master, sure. and I, I love that flick. So uh, I, I can see all the stuff from that flick in this class. Right. Like, uh, it's, it's right there. So um, – Third level, you get Drunken Technique. That's Flurry of Blows. Means that when you use your Flurry of Blows, you can also disengage. And you get plus 10 feet walking speed until the end of the turn. Which, once again, I don't understand the plus 10 feet thing. It drives me crazy. (laughs) But I like the disengage. Because I can see the disengage because it's the drunken thing where you're like doing the the bob and the weave and the whatnot. And uh, then it it allows you to get away after you've done some weird punching and whatnot. And like belly booping and headbutting. Because mm-hmm. that's what drunken masters do. Yep. Uh, sixth level, tipsy sway. So the 
the one thing that you get is leap to your feet. That's basically you can kip up. So you can spend five feet of movement to stand instead of half your movement. That's cool. I'm di- I'm down with that. Sure. And then uh, redirect attack. So that's you can spend one key point to have an attacker who misses you hit someone within five feet of you. And believe me, if you've ever seen Drunken Master, mm-hmm. that makes perfect and total sense. It is it is wonderful and beautiful. Yep. This is one of those where it's flavorful right from the start. Mm-hmm. Yep. Eleventh, Drunkard's Luck. You can spend two key points to cancel disadvantage on an attack roll, an ability check, or a saving throw. I love that, too, because it's got... It, the name of it lets you understand what it looks like. It's called Drunkard's Luck, right? Yeah. Uh, and then 17th level, Intoxicated Frenzy. And if anybody's ever seen that movie, like, there's some times where uh, the drunken master will just drink a ton of liquor, especially really potent liquor and whatnot, to get intoxicated to the point where they are um, empowered or frenzied and whatnot. So this lets you, uh, you get to make three more attacks, as long as each attack is against a different creature in that particular ter- turn. Um I'm not too crazy about this one as my 17th level power, but it doesn't suck. It's just not the best thing ever, I think. Yeah, it's it's useful, and since you can move quite a bit as a monk, um, you can you know move right up the line and attack lots and lots of different creatures. Because three more attacks is is a uh, is not insignificant, and I believe you can use stunning fist if you can use stunning fist. Yeah, um, each more than once per round. I don't think you can. Time. If I remember correctly. It's been a while, though. Yeah, I think you can. Huh. Well, as long as you got the key points for it. Hey, hey, listeners, let us know which one of us is right. Yeah. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. Uh, I like this. Cl- I like this this kit a lot for uh, as I'm going to call them kits now because that's what they are. I know that's not what they're called, but they totally are kits, man. They feel like kits so much. I love it. Um, I, I dig this kit a lot. It's got the flavor. Like you said, it's good stuff. I think it's pretty, pretty wonderful. Mm hmm. Yeah, I have no problem with it at all. Uh, what, what do you got? What's next for you? I've got the Horizon Walker, who, uh, which was one of my favorites in third edition. Um, so it's basically a ranger that can use magic to move through the planes. So at third level, you get Detect Portal, which is just if there is a portal to another plane anywhere within a mile of you, you know where it is and you can find it. Mm-hmm. Um, at third level, you also get Planar Warrior. So as a bonus action... You choose a creature within 30 feet of you. Your next weapon attack on that turn does force damage rather than whatever damage you would normally do, uh, which is very useful against extra planar creatures that may have resistances because not much resists or is immune to force. Mm. And at 11th level, you can also add 2d8 force damage to whatever the normal attack was. Nice. Um, yeah, so it's it's really simple, but it gets the point across. At 7th level, you get Ethereal Step. Again, as a bonus action, you can cast the spell Etherealness until the end of your turn. So basically, during your turn, you can be Ethereal, and you can walk wherever you need to walk, as long as you can get get to a place of safety by the end of your turn. <laughs> and that you can do that once per long or short rest. Hmm. At 11th level, you get what's called Distant Strike. So when you take your attack action... You can teleport up to 10 feet between each attack. And then if you attack two different targets during that, you get to take an extra third attack on your turn. So again, it's just, it's showing that you are this mobile uh, horizon walker. I actually like that a lot. And at 15th level, you get spectral defense. 
Um, when you take damage, you can use your reaction to kind of make yourself out of phase. So you get resistance to all the damage from that attack. So this is one of those that is flavorful enough. It's pretty clear. Um, but it may not be quote unquote sexy enough for some players, but I like it. Um, I like it. I like its simplicity. I like its elegance. It gets its point across without trying to do too much. Well, I actually think this one is great for flavor and it's got some juice to it, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's not, uh, you know, it's not weak by any stretch of the imagination. I love the, um, the teleport time between attacks on the distance strike. I don't know. I just like it. Like, I like that flavor. I like how it feels. I like how you're, you're, you're moving because teleporting, the thing with moving, right? When you're a ranger is, uh, why that's cool is because if you move, you will still provoke opportunity attacks, right? But if you teleport, you don't. This is true. And there is no, there's no limit on that. So you could do that every round. Mm hmm. And get it, and get an extra attack every round as long as you have enough targets to uh, to fight. Yes, and it's just it's just really cool. Like I just really like it a lot. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to say about that. It feels it feels useful in a lot of ways. That mobile ranger thing. Uh, I mean, I like characters that can move around a lot too. That's a thing with me. So I can see all the 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 advantages to it. Plus, if you're into anime, it's got a real anime power feel to it. That is true. That is true. So, Sean, uh, what do you want to talk about next? I want to talk about the Scout because the Scout the Scout was a really basic uh, third edition class. So I was wondering how they would work it into fifth edition. All right. And how they did it was making it a rogue archetype. But really, this is kind of a rangery rogue. So at third level, you get Skirmisher, where you can move half your speed as reaction if your enemy ends next to you um, with no opportunity attacks against you. Uh, at third level, you also get survivalist, where you are proficient with nature and survival, and you get to double your proficiency for any ability checks that use those two skills. At ninth level, you get superior superior mobility, increase your speed by 10 feet. Yay. Not 10 feet a third of the time, 10 feet all the time. Mm-hmm. Thir- at 13th level, you get ambush master, where you have advantage on your initiative rolls, and Creatures you hit during that first round grant advantage to be hit by your allies until the beginning of your next turn. So that has some pretty significant meat on its bones, especially if you're fighting a big solo boss monster. Can I say something real quick about this? Sure. I would have really preferred that that ambush master thing mm-hmm. would have been split up into two different things and one of those things given earlier. Because okay. going from I, – I think the – um. The getting skirmisher and then getting survivalist, that's actually really good at third yeah. level. It's really, really good. The double your proficiency for ability checks thing. I mean, mm-hmm. people don't think about that stuff, right? But um if you're out yeah. in the wood in, in nature, out in the woods doing you know, wilderness mm-hmm. adventuring, that's right. a pretty powerful ability actually. Right. And uh, as a rogue, you don't automatically get those things. So that if, if this was a ranger's archetype, you'd be like, Yeah, who cares? This is a uh-huh. rogue archetype, so it really makes you uh into part ranger. Yeah, and it gives you – you are the skill monkey at that point. Mm-hmm. Very um, true. I would have just preferred to see the advantage thing maybe be at sixth level and then like the creature granting hit advantage – getting hit or flip it around be at 13th. Like one of those things. Like it's just – it's yeah. a long time to get a thing between third and ninth level. This is true. Huh. That's a great question. Does Does the ranger normally only have that progression? Huh. I didn't think to look at that. 
I'll check that out later. But yeah, I think <laughs> you're right. Um, so, all right. So Ambush Master was, excuse me, Ambush Master was 13th. And at 17th, you get Sudden Strike, where you spend a bonus action to make an extra attack if you take the attack action. You can sneak attack on with that uh, bonus action, even if you've already used your sneak attack already. So this lets you sneak attack twice. But you can't use it against the same target twice, which, you know, it balance-wise, that makes sense. You You want this to... You're so quick that you hit a target, they're going to be ready the next time. So this other guy hasn't seen yet how quick you are, so you get to, that sneak attack on him. Yeah, I was just thinking of it as in, um, you know how if you ever, like, okay, so I've been watching The Punisher. I'm not going to spoil anything, all right? <laughs> I haven't not seen gonna, it yet, so you better not. not going to spoil anything. But I've seen enough fighting now <laughs> in this in this show where I'm like, oh, that was totally a sneak attack in my head. And I'm like, uh it was like somebody grabbed somebody and stabbed them, and then they're like, oh, and then they stabbed them like 17 more times, right? Like, I'm like, that feels like sudden strike to me, <laughs> but you can't do it to the same person? Like, I don't understand. I'm so confused by that. That's... So I'm like, I'm, I, I will be honest that I am being, um, I'm being manipulated by mass media at the moment. There you go. In this case, that's a great feels... question. You know, is if you get stabbed 17 times, when does it stop being sudden? I mean, that's true, is just, right? Is it just with the first attack? That mean, that's that's what I mean about the name, though. Like, the name, I get the name, but it doesn't... Right. Like, I just snuck attack you, and you're surprised, because I just stabbed you, right? So then I'm going to stab you, like, four more times. Like, yeah. uh, I, I get it, right? Like, I get the balance. It just it, it felt weird to me. It's funny. <laughs> and, Sean, when you watch it, you'll understand what I'm talking about a few times. I, I'm sure I will. <laughs> yeah. Hey, do you want to talk about the Cavalier? I do. I, I, I do want to say though, real quick about that scout. I think, I think I like it a lot. Like it's a cool class. Like it, yeah. it's a cool kit, I guess. And then that's not, that's not what they are, but I'm calling them kits today. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that ambush master ability. I wish it wasn't at 13th level or the, all yep. it wasn't at 13th level. Cause who, how many of us are actually playing at 13th level? Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah. So I picked the cavalier because the cavalier isn't just the cavalier. Like you're like, but they ride a horse. I'm like, no, 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 no. You do not understand. I love fighters especially fourth edition fighters that can mark people. This is the best tank class I think I've seen period from fifth edition D and D. It just does all the things that I wanted tanks to do. Mm -hmm. Um, because tanks in fifth edition aren't super sticky, right? Right, Sean? Like right. they don't have the mark. They don't really have ways to hold people down. So super effectively. Sure. Um, so the Cavalier at third level, they get bonus proficiencies cause they're supposed to be nobles, whatever. Um, you can pick one of like animal handling, history, insight, performance, or persuasion. Um, they're born to the saddle. That means they get advantage on saving throws to fall from your mount, uh, falling. Uh, and also if you fall off your mount, you can generally land on your feet as long as you're not falling too far. And, uh, a mounting and dismounting only costs five feet instead of half your movement. So yes, they can ride stuff, right? Like that is a thing. Here's the thing, though, for me. Uh, unwavering mask. If you hit the target, you mark them. They This target has disadvantage to attack anyone other than you. If a marked target uh, damages anyone other than you, on your next turn, you can use a bonus action to attack that target with advantage, and your damage increases by half your fighter level. You can only do this a number of times equal to your strength modifier before you need to take a long rest to reset them. Okay. It's my mark, man. I love the mark, yeah. right? I'm a fan of the mark. Hey, it's almost like this show. Your other show is called Mark. 
That misdirected mark? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That, that's a bard power, though. That's yeah, why the, that's it, why the. <laughs> it was. I know. Yeah, it but was. The, you know, the, the word mark is in there. That's true. Um, at seventh level, you get warding maneuver. So this is, you have a number of uses of this equal to your con modifier. What you could get to do is you can roll a d8 and add your, add that as armor class as a reaction. Um, to, to you or any target that's within five feet of you to any attack that hits. It's the trigger is being hit by an attack. Mm-hmm. Um, if, and then if the attack still hits the target, the target has resistance to that attack. So I love that as a fighter. That's really cool. You get to really throw yourself in the way of people. Um, tenth level, hold the line. People provoke opportunity attacks by moving around you at this point. So you know how usually you can just move around somebody and not provoke an opportunity attack as long as you're not moving away from them? No longer the case. Okay. And and then if you hit them, you reduce their speed to zero. Love it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the fighter that I love anyway. And then uh, 15th level, ferocious character. You can move, if you move 10 feet and attack a target, the target, or hit a target, I should say, the target needs to make a DC 8 plus strength plus proficiency uh, saving throw or be knocked prone. And you can only do that once per turn, but it's cool because you can you can basically knock people over. Yeah, at 15th level, that's A-OK. Yeah. Uh, although I'd be curious as to see what happens when I'm like, well, I'm going to charge this dragon with my horse because... Rules is written. You can knock the dragon over. Like I think that's stupid, but DMs just rule the right way. Okay, please, mm-hmm. pretty please. Anyways, um, at 18th level, vigilant defender. Once in every creature's turn, you can take a special reaction that is an opportunity attack. Uh, you can't use that if you use any other reaction. But basically, usually you can only use one reaction around until your like until your turn comes back up. Right. But you could just keep attacking people at this point. I think that's a pretty cool power at 18th uh, level because you can hold the line for, for real then. Like, you could stand in the doorway and, like, if people try to walk by, you can just hack them down. I'd have to think about that. I mean, it's 18th level, so at that point, you know, people are casting multiple wishes and cr- all sorts of crazy stuff. It's true. Um, I mean, and remember, that will that will hit withhold the line too right so when people start moving trying to move past you you hit them they stop moving so you won't get an infinite amount of them because eventually you'll just be surrounded right mm-hmm. so i don't I'm, think it's too terrible the, yeah i'm reading the actual text just to just to get a feel for it but like i said at 18th level at this point anything goes yeah and it's just i mean an opportunity attack is just one attack with your sword so i mean mm-hmm. if they're mooks it's cool because you're basically Gilmy on top of the wall at um, Helm's Deep, just chopping down orcs that are trying to climb up onto it. Mm-hmm. That's oh, how yeah. I feel about it anyway. No, I I, uh, I, I like that Cavalier. I, I really do. I love this class. This this might be my favorite kit class thing that I've seen in D&D so far. But that's that's a personal thing for me because I love right. that. It's the thing that I want a fifth edition to have that it didn't have. So it's got it now and I'm pretty happy about it. Uh, so that's that. Do you want to talk about racial feats or you want to skip that until next time? You know, let's skip it until next time because we've gone almost an hour already. Yes, we have. And we should probably get out of here as we're, uh, you know, moving along this evening. So before we get out of here, I would like to thank everyone for listening and do a few Patreon shout outs. So Michael Benensky, Space Rhino, Mike Amir, Michael Bauman, Jeff Stevens, John, just John, MT Black and Cindy Moore, who I hope you uh you get better because for those who didn't know cindy was in the er for a, a bit of a medical thing although everything is okay she's fine everything is fine and she's getting healthier all the time it wasn't really a, an accident or anything like that she just had a, a thing that happened to her um there's a little numbness in in her legs but it's all taken care of so she's fine we were all worried for a second but everything's good get well soon cindy 
All right. Well, with that, speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website. And for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout out. And by the way, we're over our patron, our most recent Patreon uh, level goal. So we're going to shave Bob's head on camera at some point in the near future, probably in December, early December. That's a thing. Also, there'll be um every month or, or quarter or whatever it says on there. I have to go back and look. I'll be putting out like a little one page dungeon thing for people. Sweet. Yeah. And if you're going to get your head shaved in Buffalo, You'd want to do it in December because that's the I know, best right? time. <laughs> hey, it's so or, funny. Or for five dollars a month, you can not only get a shout out and see Bob get his head shaved, but you also get our pre-production show notes, and we try to give patrons little extras when we can. Mm-hmm. If you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. So that's what they are now, Apple Podcasts. Yep, uh, they help even if you don't listen to us on iTunes. Or Apple Podcasts. <laughs> or Apple Podcasts. Because <laughs> I forgot uh, to rewrite the copy. Sorry, Sean. Well, it is iTunes, but, you know, it's it's the podcast part's different. Um, since many other podcatchers use Apple Podcasts as their way to rate it, it's like insert here. <laughs> as their way to happens. Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Uh, <laughs> as their way to rate and rank shows, which would make us more visible. Oh, Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or on the Down with D&D G Plus community. My uh, my favorite places to, to go and and be found on the internet are at Down with D on Twitter, at Down with D&D on Twitter, um, at The Light 101 or at Misdirected Mark. Uh, and also the, the Down with D&D G Plus community, Down with D&D G Plus community. Like, you should go there. Yeah. You can also just listen to a whole bunch of other shows if you want to go to the website. There's a bunch of them. I highly suggest going there and checking them out. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Why, yes it is. Sean, what are we going to do now? We are going to go kill some archetypes. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me.